Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. Listen for what God is saying to you. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months when he was born, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they weren't afraid of the king's orders. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter when he was grown up. He chose to be mistreated with God's people instead of having the temporary pleasures of sin. He thought that the abuses he suffered for Christ were more valuable than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking forward to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt without being afraid of the king's anger. He kept on going as if he could see what is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood in order that the destroyer could not touch their firstborn children. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as if they were on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried it, they were drowned. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture. Good morning again, everyone. I don't think I introduced myself. My name is Emily McGinley, and I have the great joy of serving as the pastor here and in ministry alongside many of the folks that you see up here and many who you don't. Um, let us begin with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the gift that it is to come together in worship and all of the people, including each one of us here, who help that worship happen in the various ways that we bring ourselves to your service and to the service of one another. And now, as we sink into your word, we ask that your spirit would dwell among us and that it would do that mysterious work that only it can do um, to help us be a little bit more transformed, a little bit more whole, a little bit more confronted, and a little bit more comforted um, wherever we might find ourselves at this space in this moment. And so open us to receive what you have to say and help us to be um, courageous enough to uh, hear it and live it out in whatever way you lead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we spent these last four weeks um, looking at a few different snapshots of Moses' life. We started at this pivotal point where Moses breaks from his place in Pharaoh's household. He's forced to see himself in a completely new way. Then we stopped by a burning bush, an encounter um, when Moses has moved beyond just claiming his identity and living into it, but is called to then a higher purpose of leading his people um, out of oppression and returning to Egypt to do that. And then last week we talked about how Moses then was sustained for that purpose by making time for transcendence with ongoing meetings with God. And there's a lot more that we could dig into Moses' story, but this week as we close out our series on what makes for a meaningful life, we're taking a look at Moses from the back end. The author, maybe it's the Apostle Paul or maybe someone else, scholars aren't quite sure who wrote it, the author is trying to encourage folks who are living under some pretty incredible stress. They live in Jerusalem. In fact, this is why this is called the letter to the Hebrews. The author is writing to early Christians who come from a Jewish background. Their first identity is as a Hebrew, and they live in the capital of Hebrewism, right? It's like being Mormon and living in Salt Lake City. But so because they're this sort of like breakaway 
people, they, these sort of no longer exactly Jewish but still somehow Jewish people who have decided to follow in the way of Jesus, it means that they're sort of like in this weird in-between space. They're Jewish, but they're not Jewish in the way that they used to be. Now, right now in this letter, it's sort of like they're, they're kind of um, at this point in, in history, they're, they're sort of a, like a new branch of Judaism, which is not something that like the OG Jews are all that happy about, right? So these folks are pressed on all sides. Of course, there's the Roman government, but then there's also the Jewish community. And so folks are experiencing a lot of rejection, confusion about their identity, maybe even some grief, right? Because some relationships that they had were getting strained or broken. Um, who they knew themselves to be is no longer who they are. And of course, the staple of any uh, circumstance of any Christian life in Rome, uh, persecution, right? So they're wondering, lots of wonderings. And one of those wonderings is, am I Jew or am I something else? And if I am still Jewish, then how do I make sense of where I am now? So the author is trying to make this case, trying to help folks see who feel sort of like a weird, unwanted appendage, right? That they not only fit in with what God is doing, but actually fit right in with what God has always done. So here in chapter 11, we're kind of dropping in about two-thirds of the way through the author's argument, which is sort of a shame because you don't get like to feel this rev up to the point where they've really kind of gotten themselves into a lather, you know, which is where he is right now. Um, he began the chapter with this sort of thesis statement. Faith is the reality of what we hope for, the proof of what we don't see. The elders in the past were approved of because they showed faith. And then he goes on to do the roll call, right? By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken up. By faith, Noah responded. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Sarah had a baby. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith, Jacob blessed Joseph's sons, and now Moses' story of faith takes up a good amount of ink. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, he left Egypt. He kept the Passover. He crossed the Red Sea. And I can't help but wonder, what would Moses think if he saw this? Would he be surprised? Flattered? Embarrassed? Because while all the facts are there, there isn't anything false about what was written, right? There are definitely some omissions. There's nothing about how he left Pharaoh's household, actually, because he had a warrant on his head. No mention of how he tried three different ways to get out of being spokesman and freedom fighter for Israel. Nothing about how he got so fed up with his people in their whining that he made them feel humiliated and demeaned for complaining, which is why God said he couldn't enter the promised land. These facts are also true. And if Moses is anything like you or me, or at least me, I'd bet that those are the facts that he remembers the most. Not that he was a hero of the faith for generations to draw inspiration from, but what a cowardly, impatient, unfaithful person he was. Moses was a model of faith. Moses was not perfectly faithful. Both of these statements are true. The difference, then, is which version of the story and how you want to tell it. Now, the fourth pillar or principle for creating a life of meaning, as Leslie mentioned earlier, that we're focusing on today, is storytelling. 
Creating a narrative from the events of your life can bring clarity. It helps you understand how you became you. So maybe even your family has some traditions around this, right? We're surrounded by stories. How our country was founded, where our people come from, when we found our way, what we're all here for. Most of us, in one form or another, have stories that we tell ourselves. I was a miracle baby. I shouldn't have survived. Or I'm the middle child. No one paid attention to me or cared about me. But there are also the stories we tell about ourselves as a people, right? This country was founded on the ideals that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness should be available to everyone who is white, landowning, and male. Your life, our world, isn't just a list of events or a set of facts, right? They tell a story. We make stories out of those facts. Whose story? What story are you going to tell? Now, Black History Month, of course, has just begun, and that isn't, isn't that what that's all about, right? Setting the record straight, telling stories that historiographers have elected to leave out. How you edit, how you interpret, how you tell your story, even as you're constrained by the facts, is fully within your power. It's completely possible to tell a story that is different than the one you've been told for long, for so long. But it can take a lot of work to change that narrative. Right? And I was reminded of that this past week. Now, Ailsa Lipcomb, Lipscomb, sorry, Lipscomb started coming to UVC last month, and we met up for coffee earlier this week, and I was really just moved by her story. And after she shared with me, I asked her if she'd be willing to share it with all of you this morning. So I'm going to invite Ailsa to come up. We're going to kind of shift our seating around just a little bit to make sure that we're all in good shape. So Ailsa started coming to UVC last month, um, and we met up for coffee, and uh, her story was just so powerful, I, I really had to ask her to sh if she'd be willing to share it, even though she's pretty new. So um, I'm grateful for her courage in that way. Um, now, I know that many of you are right in the middle of, of that work of kind of writing a different narrative as we've had um, conversations at different times. And I hope that um, part of why I wanted her to come up and share, why I invited her to share was um, not only help us just see how hard it is to do this work, but actually but it's also really possible. So, Ailsa, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What's your faith background? Um, so, good morning, church. Um, my name is Ailsa Lipscomb. Um, I thought my service dog would come, but she's currently snoring, so um, <laughs> Connie so much for that. is in a pew. Um, <laughs> I'm from New Zealand. We, Connie and I both moved here in 2015 for me to pursue my PhD in music and sound studies here at the University of Chicago on a Fulbright scholarship. Um, <laughs> um, I grew up without religion and without faith. My parents, both to varying degrees, had been brought up within Christianity, but as they both grew up, they both chose, for their own reasons, to kind of depart from that, and they then chose to raise my sister and I without religion. We were never discouraged from asking questions and seeking out options, but we were also never explicitly encouraged to go out and find faith. And, um, but there was this moment kind of in your life where um, there was sort of an incident, right, um, that turned everything sort of upside down in a pretty astonishing way. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, so in 2005, when I was 12, I fell over at the school bus stop and I twisted my ankle. And what should have been a really minor injury rewired my entire nervous system and it kind of went into overdrive. And it took about a year to receive a diagnosis, but I was finally diagnosed with something called 
reflex sympathetic dystrophy or complex regional pain syndrome, which is a rare form of nerve damage that sparks from a really small injury but rewires the entire nervous system until you're experiencing chronic pain throughout your entire body, both in your limbs as well as through internal organs. Um, so because of that, when I went back to school, I went back to school in a wheelchair, and I was in fact wheelchair bound for four years before I learned to walk again. But when I went back to school, I faced immediate social alienation. People who were once my friends were no longer really interested in socializing with the weird girl with the mysterious illness who went from being like bubbly and walking to suddenly being kind of like a little sad and in a wheelchair. So for a few years, I kind of like wandered a little aimlessly through high school without really any sort of group to call my own. But eventually, I was invited to youth group by a girl who was in my French class. And she invited me to a local non-denominational evangelical church that was about five minutes from our high school. And this was where, since getting sick, I experienced for the first time a sense of like acceptance and belonging where I was not defined by my disability, but I was also not treated differently because of it. Uh, so this was the first time for me that I started actually exploring faith. And what at the time it looked like was coming to God with a laundry list of requests and questions which always centered around the same refrain, which was, when will I get better, when will I be healed, and when will I be fixed? Now, a few years later, despite the initial belonging and acceptance I felt at this church, I was called to leave because despite their acceptance of my disability, I found it really hard to um, sit with their message of non-inclusivity regarding the LGBT community. And there was, along with this kind of experience of acceptance at church, uh, you did a lot of work to start a foundation um, to help kind of raise awareness about this um, kind of rare, you, you, I think you mentioned there were only three people in New Zealand who had that diagnosis, which was part of why it probably took so long, but to kind of raise that awareness. And, and then you also found support, and um, you mentioned you found support and encouragement in these uh, chronic illness type groups um, to help uh, um, Kind of hold all of what you were going through. Mm -hmm. And it sounded like those were also really helpful for you in a lot of ways. Um, but you kind of found, at least when you were sharing with me, you found yourself sort of circling around the same uh, stories, questions mm -hmm. um, that, uh, that served you for a period of time. But then there was this kind of jump, right? Like part of it was moving across halfway around the world, right? Um, but so since that time, and um, in your, your faith life and your kind of own personal development, um, how would you say that you've changed and, and how has, has that change sort of impacted your faith? So I would say that in that time since initially starting exploring faith in church as well as beginning a charity and working through these like social media based groups, two significant changes have occurred that have reshaped the narrative of kind of my, the way I feel about myself and how I talk about myself. The first of which was going through a coming out process and coming out both to myself and then to those around me. And in doing so, that really like sparked a reevaluation of firstly figuring out why I just felt so deathly uncomfortable in my first home church, which at the time I put down to being an ally and to knowing people from within the LGBTQ community, and then kind of like going through this process of realization and realizing that I myself was a part of that community. Um, but secondly, it was, a moment at which I started reevaluating my relationship to God in a deeper and more honest way, which was partially through coming out and figuring out who I was, 
but it was also through a re-evaluation of the way I use social media and the way that I connected with people with similar conditions to myself. So these groups, like Emily mentioned, initially gave me so much encouragement. So these are primarily on Facebook, groups of people with similar conditions who kind of congregate together and share stories and talk about the way that the illness has impacted their lives and the sorts of discrimination they face and the day-to-day -day kind of happenings. And at first, that was incredibly encouraging. It was a moment of solidarity. I suddenly experienced that other people got what I was going through. But the longer I was a part of these groups, the more I realized how toxic they can become. And this took a huge amount of faith. I had trusted these people. I had spent hours and days of my life just with these people, connecting with them and sharing. And suddenly I had to accept and realize that I needed to remove myself from these groups. And this was primarily because within these groups, there's this sort of recycled narrative that always occurs where pain, suffering, and alienation are the key themes that always get talked about. And it encourages members to see themselves as less than or as broken. The focus is nearly always on how illness has ruined lives, destroyed relationships, and hindered growth. And because of that, you're not encouraged to share moments of successes, moments of joys, because to do so would by members be seen as an admitting that you no longer are suffering. Because within kind of like the ethos and mindset of these groups, pain and joy can't live simultaneously. So to experience one, you must give up the other or admit to not experiencing the other. So for me, when I was first diagnosed, coming to God with this like lists of requests to be healed was firmly grounded in my belief that I was broken through illness and I needed to be healed to become whole. And that was being encouraged by these groups that I was a part of because they were giving me a narrative of, you know, instead of learning to accept and grow alongside illness, that I was my illness and because of that, I couldn't experience growth or joy. And so how has, how has that shifted your, your faith and kind of your relationship with God too? So over the last couple of years as I've begun this transition process of removing myself from these groups, I've moved away from thinking that I need to be healed in order to have meaning and in order to be fulfilled. Uh, my relationship with God is now predicated on how that I can live the life that I've been given and find fulfillment and meaning through that life. Um, which is a huge change from the original relationship I had, which was a very transactional relationship where first I must be fixed, and only after that can I then go into the world, find meaning, and share my story. And so this change has required me to alter my view of how I see disability and how I see illness, because I no longer see it as getting in the way of having a fulfilling faith relationship. Um, it's for me now, disability doesn't mean that I'm somehow broken and in need of fixing or in need of becoming whole. Um, but it's also meant that I'm now no longer afraid of proclaiming my faith. Because initially, I thought to go out in the world and say that I was Christian and disabled would be doing a disservice to God for people who would look at me and they would look at my broken body and they would go, well, how can your God be so good if you were like this? Or they would doubt my faithfulness because they're like, if you were truly faithful, if you were truly a Christian, you would have been healed. Mm. So through changing how I tell myself 
what my health is and the relationship of my health to me, it actually has opened me up to being led by God in different ways that I was initially very closed off to because I believed that healing had to occur first in order for me to then experience a meaningful relationship with him. And I no longer think that physical healing is required in order to have that relationship, but rather you can grow in meaningful and purposeful ways alongside illness. So you came here um, on, on a, uh, for, for a master's degree, but now that's sort of become um, a, a doctoral, um, uh, moved into doctoral work, and, and you met someone through some of the friends that you made here, <laughs> and that person um, is, is, is the reason why you're here at Urban Village, it is, actually. Yeah. Um, so my partner is a, she's the director of emergent ministries within a United Methodist Church in Virginia. And when she was visiting at Thanksgiving last year, because we were looking at apartments, because she is moving to Chicago. Um, <laughs> when we were looking at apartments, we came to Urban Village because she'd heard kind of through the United Methodist grapevine that it was a really inclusive environment. And since we came that first time, I haven't stopped coming. <laughs> so, um, and this is the, it's an incredible blessing to us because this is actually the first church you've been to since the one you left mm -hmm. in New Zealand. Um, yeah. So prayers uh, for you and Emily, uh, your partner, um, who is going to be moving at the end of August as she finishes up her ministry there. But um, as you guys move into this transition, transitional space where you are, um, and uh, and I just I, I I I'm sure it's pretty obvious why I was like you have to share your story with this community. Um, but the thing that I was just really struck by was that this idea that. You know, some of us believe our stories for so long, we can end up kind of getting trapped by them, right? And, I, and when I heard the kind of um, the shift in how those those disability groups served you and then stopped serving you, um, I, I just couldn't help but think about that. And 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 the truth is, like, we can't necessarily change the facts, right? Like, you will need Connie probably for you know, or a version of Connie, you know, <laughs> um, for for mo most of your life, right? Um, but we can sort of change our interpretation of them, and that's exactly what you sort of shared. It doesn't mean you doesn't prevent you from uh, being out about your faith, about about who you love, and and um, and and what you are that you have purpose and meaning um, in this world. Um, and and so that's kind of where I want to sort of pull us to as we think about what what is the story that we tell about ourselves, right? Now, in an era, era where sort of fake news accusations are thrown about, I think it's important to make a distinction between distorting the facts or living in denial um, and, and versus interpreting the facts for the sake of a more life-giving and meaning-filled way of understanding who we are and what we're for. And so, so I thought, you know, if you're someone who kind of is in the middle of that work of trying to figure out how do I tell a different story about myself, or if you're, you're sort of like, I don't know how to begin, um, or I might need to do this work later on, but I'm not quite ready to do that right now, I wanted to at least kind of give you guys some concrete sort of ways to begin thinking about doing this work other than, you know, finding a, a good therapist that you can do that work with, right? So that, I'll just put that plug in there. Um, it's been good for me, it's been good for Ailsa, and for many of us too. So, so the first step, I would say, is to um, maybe list the top five to seven major events in your life. And you can kind of slice that however you want, right? Um, this could be uh, things that happened to you or choices that you've made or realizations that you've come to. Um, and so kind of make that list, um, and then ask yourself, what are some common themes? Who were prominent people? Where was God present? How did that impact your faith? 
or lack thereof, right? And then the second step is, um, as you kind of look at these events as a whole, um, look kind of where you are or what direction you might be moving on a scale of those sort of three pillars that I talked about over the last few weeks. So, so where were you in these different um, events from just disconnection to belonging, from apathy to purpose, from bleakness to transcendence? Um, kind of sort of just gauging yourself where you are. And then the third step would be to, to talk about it with someone, right? Um, this is again where a great therapist can be helpful, but if you can't afford one, um, or you maybe you could talk about it. Uh, there are uh, therapy options that are on a sliding scale, so I just want to sort of put that out there in case you didn't know that. But if you can't afford one, if you're sort of not quite ready for that, maybe you could talk it through with a friend that you're in an intentional relationship with, which is part of our small group offerings, or, or even someone who is just kind of down to be a sounding board with you, right? Um, someone that you trust, someone that doesn't necessarily have an agenda for you other than wholeness, right, and healing and, and, and health, health for yourself. Um, the idea though, the purpose, the idea behind this is to begin to construct a narrative that helps you see your life with greater purpose and meaning. That's the goal, right? So um, that's, that's what the arc of this is. And all of this then can help us kind of take stock and make meaning out of the events and circumstances of our lives. It can help um, make sense of ourselves, um, our families, sometimes patterns in your family behavior gets emerged, right? It can help you make sense of, of the world. Storytelling helps us to identify a, a kind of through line in a disparate set of facts. And it also helps to bind us together as a people. We are people bound by a story here in this space, right? That God loves us. That God, God came to earth to, to show us how to be, to allow ourselves to be loved more fully and to love one another more deeply. So um, it helps us to bind, to bind us together as people. And, and that's actually exactly what the author of Hebrews was trying to do, right? There's this group of frightened but committed people who are also kind of grappling with their Jewish identity. And what better way to help, the, <coughs> excuse me, help them understand themselves than by drawing on the stories of the people that came before them, right? Leading up to, spoiler alert, the faith of Jesus, right? Um, and that leads me to um, step four, identify the through line. Now, as a person who's exploring or wanting to deepen your faith, which is what I assume folks gathered here on a snowy Sunday morning um, are doing, it might be helpful for you to do a little of what the author of Hebrews was trying to do, right? Identify a through line of faith. It doesn't have to be as dramatic as crossing, of, crossing the Red, Red Sea, right? But something like, by faith, my grandparents believed that some, there was something better. By faith, my parents kept going. By faith, I got out of bed this morning, right? By faith, I faced my addiction. By faith, I opened myself up. What is your through line of faith? Take some time to think about this. Not at this moment, but you know, over time. <laughs> this is long work, right? So as the author um, reflected on Moses' stories, his predecessors and the people who came after him, it was a through line of faithfulness that they identified. And this was how they saw God's presence um, active in a way that was both encouraging and inspiring for those early Jewish Christians who faced persecution. That they were grafted into this legacy of faith, right? That, that, and this author was trying to help them rewrite their stories from a place, to a place of power with rather than persecution from. Power with those ancestors that came before. Power with unlikely, imperfect people. Power with one another. And so how are you writing your story with the ink of faith? 
Where is God's through line present, even in the midst of your more imperfect moments? Write a new story. Not just for yourself, even, but for a world that could use reminding. Are you not inspired and encouraged and uplifted by Ailsa's story? A story that is of an imperfect person continuing to live an imperfect life, right? But faithfully so. To be authentic and have meaning, find deep meaning in the truth of your narrative, right? Which is perfect and imperfect. Facts that are interpreted for life-giving purpose and meaning. We don't have to be perfect and we don't even have to be happy, right? But we can belong and we can have purpose and we can experience transcendence, God's presence, all we need is the courage to pick up a pen and dare to write a new story. Welcome to the planet. Welcome to existence. Everyone's here. Escape from 
from yourself where you gonna go where you gonna go mercy is here I tell you to Today is the birthday. Today.